The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. The scripture reading this morning is found in Exodus chapter 33, verses 7 through 11, and Exodus 40, verses 34 through 38. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Chapter 40, beginning at verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and the fire was in the cloud by night. In the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you have called us to a time to worship you. For you are a friend uh, like no other friend. We're reminded this morning. And you take time to be with us. You take time to commune with us. 
and Lord Jesus, when we are not looking to you, you you're always listening, inclining your ear towards every need that we have because you know us, you know us by name. Um, Father, you know everything that we are thinking. You know everything of that needless pain we just seen that we put ourselves through at times. And you're always there for us. And you know the joys that satisfy our hearts. And Lord Jesus, we thank you because you remind us through the sufficiency of your word how good you are. How you are a good, good father. And we thank you, Jesus. I thank you for every single person that is in this sanctuary, that is in this place of where your presence is. And I thank you for all of our church families scattered around the nation and our church family that is scattered abroad around the globe. That, Lord, these are moments where we all around the world are proclaiming the greatest name on the face of the earth. And we thank you, Lord, that we get to call you by name. We thank you, Lord, that we can come to you. We don't need a veil, nor do we need anyone else to mediate, but we come to you, Lord Jesus, and we are incredibly grateful for it. Help us to continue to worship you in spirit and in truth, even as I preach your word. Hide me, Lord Jesus, beneath the cross and allow every word that is preached be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. For all God's people say together. Amen. Beloved, when we look at our... Uh, Task this morning, one would say, uh, we have a chunk to preach. And, you know, I don't know who to blame it on. I looked at this couple, months, I don't know who to blame it on. I'm not pointing no elbows. But it's two people over there. We did pray for them, all that stuff. But uh, for some, some reason, uh, uh, Sir G only preached on chapter 32. And then for some reason, 33 through 40 was just thrown in there. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> it, 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 don't, it don't add up. It don't <laughs> but what, what we, if you're joining us for the first time, uh, my name is Michael Davis. And we're going uh, through the book of Exodus. We have been going through the book of Exodus. And now we're coming to a close in the book of Exodus. And I want to offer a broad brief review of the book of Exodus and the purpose of the recap is to offer a solid conclusion to our sermon series and I know like many of you are thinking to yourselves how can we cover so much ground and so little time it is because I've been getting I've been given extended time for so much ground so uh, if you need to get a more coffee if you need to get your hand warmers because it's cold in here uh, we, we hope the glory the Lord uh, send a gust of wind in this place that will warm us up. Amen, somebody. 
But when you look at the book of Exodus, you have to say to yourself that it points us in a particular direction. In chapters 1 through 19, we actually see that it is highlighting the deliverance captivity to liberty. And then 20 through 40, we actually see it constituting the covenant relationship between God and his people. The core thing throughout this narrative is that God's promise to this nation that they would be his, everybody say, treasured possessions. That they would be his what? To him among the nations of the earth. Also, God promised that he would dwell. Everybody say dwell. Nudge the person next to you, say dwell. There you go. And, And listen, you would dwell among them as well so that they would know that they were his people. How do we know this? Exodus 19.5, he talks about being a treasure to possession. Exodus 25.8, where he talks about the continual uh, dwelling. What does this point this to? I want to highlight in this broad sermon uh, how this points us to the New Testament illusions in which we see the incarnation is where God dwells with his people and through the spirit which he dwells with a holy nation, a holy people. And a lot of times, uh, some of us who come from holiness backgrounds and we, 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 we've heard holiness preached only in terms of what you should not do. Holiness is not about what you should not do. It's not about moralistic ways in which you set yourself apart. Even for some of us who say, well, I didn't come from a holiness background. You may think to yourself through uh, one, coin, one term that was coined like a, a moralistic therapeutic deism. It is this idea that you can consistently earn something from God, earn your way as a Christian. It, we all consistently deal with the issue of self righteousness. We, we deal with that on a consistent basis primarily because we can't fathom what grace really is. God is incomprehensible. And so what he offers to us, it is beyond our comprehension. Therefore, being a holy people is to be a people set apart. He is calling Israel to be set apart from all of the other tribes and nations that declare that their gods are strong and mighty. And so when we look at chapters 33 through 40, what I want to do is look at this from uh, chapter 33. This is an my points just subdividing it uh, you go home do some work some homework take some time to read your bibles because this is we have been preaching through exodus but it's telling the greater narrative through the book the first five books of the bible but then also the entire bible so chapter 33 you uh you see the rebellion and the atonement chapter 34 you see uh the covenant renewal 35 through 39 executing God's command and then 40 is the consecration of the tent or the tabernacle or the temple if you would because we're pointing towards that and now here what I want you guys to know is that what God is trying to do is the same thing he wants us to do With Israel, he's trying to reveal himself. He's always revealing himself to his people. Thus, it is the duty of his people to proclaim who he is 
how to the to the rest of the world every other nation every other tribe ought to know that Yahweh is the greatest God on the face of the planet in fact there is no other God as he has already stated that can stand beside him right therefore when he makes the point of having no graven images carved or made, I want you to always keep in mind that what they crafted were little figurines of gods that they made themselves in order to worship. In fact, they worship what God created. They worship the moon, the stars, and the things around them. They even worship particular animals, etc. because they did not, nations, tribes, and people did not know the one true God. But what God was saying, I am going to take a nation that is feeble and weak and make my name strong. And he does the same thing with us, beloved. Downtown church, he, he takes you of the big C church, the big universal church, and he says, I am going to take downtown church. I'm going to take some of the folks in here who think that they have it together. And I'm going to make them my people. And I am going to show them their weaknesses. I am going to highlight how they don't come from a noble pedigree, nor do they have anything valuable to me. I've created them. And downtown church is my church. It's God's church. Therefore, what he is then saying is, you have to proclaim the name of the one that is helping you. Now, I know we, we, some of us, we, we struggle with that at times because what happens a lot of times, we focus on creating the idols out of our own comfort. That's, I, I, and it's coming from and deriving from a lack of knowledge of God. Now, one thing you always hear from me when I preach is, is that I'm try, I try to be consistent with a couple things, and that is knowing God. I always talk about Calvin's double knowledge, which I try to make it the triple knowledge, whereas you, you know God and you know others, which means, I mean, you know yourself, which the more you know God, the more you know yourself. The more you know the creator, the one that created you, the more you know who you are. I like to say the more that you know God, yourself, and others, the more that you understand who he is. Beloved, the, the idea of us being a church that's intentionally trying to bridge communities and styles of worship and ways in which we come together. Some of us scream and shout. Some of us sit and we meditate. Some of us like liturgical worship and traditional worship. I'll get more into that thinking. That we have different ways in which we understand God. But doesn't that say to us, the brevet, I mean, the, 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 um, the broad way in which God has created a people in order to worship him. Have you ever heard somebody say, I wish we worshiped like they did back in the day? Sometimes they're only talking about what they were doing. Uh, I mean, some ancient Israelites may say, I wish our folks would worship like we did back in the day. I, I don't know, but, but, but we all can attest to only what we know. Therefore, knowing God should be deeply important to who we are as a people. Why? Because God is consistently, consistently revealing himself to us. Children, youth, all of you, I want you to know that God is revealing himself every time he wakes you up out of your bed. 
I, I remember, I remember the saints would say, he woke me up in my right mind. Put my feet on what? Come on, somebody. He, he, I was going one way, and then what'd he do? He, he turned me around. And when he did so, he did it to reveal himself. Every time you see a stop sign or every time you see a yellow light or green light, every time you see the birds fly through the air, you ought to say to yourself, there is something that is signaling to me that God is still alive. That God is using all forms of creation in order for if we didn't have stop signs, if we didn't have traffic lights, we would have chaos. God is reminding us and revealing us that he is a God that brings our brains, our functions, our talent, and our gifts together in order to proclaim his name. We reveal the God that has revealed himself to us. The big idea is, is that because of God's glory, it is revealed in his in his, because God's glory is revealed in his faithfulness, here's what we ought to do, beloved. Live as a holy nation. Live as a nation that is set apart. Live, live as a nation that is not caught up in everything else, but, but doing things that actually is counter to society. In fact, when I talk about these three points, it is that God has revealed himself in his faithfulness. So we ought to live as a holy nation. This is how we do it. Through deepening ourselves through intercession. Depending on God's covenant and promises. And desiring to dwell and that he dwells with us. Now, when we talk about intercession, a lot of us immediately go and th think about intercessory prayer. And, and I want us to think about that because we have to intercede for our nation, our city, the state, the world. It, it indicates that we have a faith because we don't know how things will turn out, but we can trust in a God who is going to provide, make provisions, empower, and protect his people. And, but we, through, we do it through a priestly role. Uh, you, when you look at your text, you can see that God is organizing and instructing his people and he's giving the people of God a covenant mediator every single time. Abraham was the, had the Abrahamic covenant and he carried out the way in which in Genesis chapter 3 where we see that he says, I will make you into a great nation and send you out. And then you also now see that Moses is the covenant mediator and what he then is doing is interceding on the behalf of the people we see last time the last chapter in 32 when they make the golden calf he is so upset that he breaks the tablets and he's calling them the stiff-necked people which we understand but what it means to be stiff-necked and stubborn is to is to get not get out of our own ways not to get out of our that to get to get out of our we it's hard for us to get out of the way of ourselves to be stiff-necked it, 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 we, we just don't want to pay attention. We don't want to obey. We, we don't understand how. And I want to be gracious to the, the Israelites and, and also to us because we've been formed and shaped in so many different ways that sometimes it's hard to do the very thing God has called us to. 
See, when they had these, this priesthood, the context meant that there was a substantial amount of leadership. Over time, it was connected to, to kings and prophets and other sages and rabbis. And the variety of priesthoods were built off in sects. And so tribes, we're looking at right now the Levitical priesthood. But you also had a priesthood that came from Aaron and other, other priests. When you read Ezekiel, you'll see a, a different priesthood that is there. But a lot of people had issues, particularly the prophets. If you look through the, the minor and the major prophets, they had issues with the priests because the priests were dishonest with the temple. They did not uphold their integrity. And we see that today with, with, with spiritual leaders, etc. cetera, that, that the integrity for many of those spiritual leaders have been a, a level of mistrust, which we call today a lot of church hurt. But can I tell you that, that, that the people of God have been going through that for a long time? People of God have been going through that for a long time. The, the connections to power structures gave so much corruption. And there are things that corrupt us at times, which is why we have to intercede for our leaders, for one another, for our children. We got to be praying for our babies. The reason being is because there's so much out there that is trying to corrupt them. And I didn't even, I'm not even talking about the children going through their own spiritual battles. <laughs> Grown folks, we, we think about our spiritual battles, but you realize that, that the devil want to take our kids too. You realize that, right? You see it throughout the Old Testament where, where they are sacrificing their babies to idols. That's why sometimes I got to turn off kids YouTube, okay? Because there are things that are suggesting things to my children that I just don't feel good with. There are people that suggest things to our kids and our children that we just shouldn't feel okay with. And why? It is because we are given a priestly nature to intercede. And the main purpose is to mediate on behalf of the people of God to our God. And we see here Moses in chapter 32, 12 through 23. I want you to see because I want us to learn how to intercede. I want us to learn how to intercede. And, and, and partly part, the reason being is because sometimes we only look at intercession in a passive way. We only look at it as if we, we, we have no role in it in terms of what we, can, what we can do and who we do know. Remember, knowing God is important. So when we look at chapter 33 to 12, we see that the, uh, with the first couple of verses, we see that uh, right before we just read our verse on the ten of meetings, we see that they took off their ornaments because God said, I'm taking my presence away from y'all. I'm taking my presence away from you as you journey to the promised land that I told you that I would promise you. Why? Because you have not been doing what I told you to do and you made a calf to worship and I've been here showing you my glory this entire time. And Moses is like, y'all seen God doing his thing on the mountain and y'all still didn't worship him. And so what do they do? They begin to take their ornaments off. Now you got to ask yourself the question, why do they have ornaments? 
It's because they too are people of the land. They are people of the day and the age of the ancient Near East. Therefore, the way that they worship and the things that they had, they still were holding on to their pagan and idol worship. At the same time, God is revealing himself to them. This is why he says you have to, you have, being holy, you have to distance yourself from the other nations and not even marry with them because you will begin to take on their idols. You will begin to take on their practices. Beloved, the idea in which we understand that then Moses says, okay, God, they are trying to show you that they are terrified that you are no longer with them. So I, I, I'm going to come to you because you didn't threaten us enough, Lord. And you helped me get these people out of Egypt <laughs> to get them to Sinai. I need you to help me to get them to Sinai to get them to the promised land. If you can't do it, I don't know if I can do it. And so Moses is clearly pleading to him because he needs God. But listen to what he says in verse 13. Now, therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you. That I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. This conditional clause allows us as readers and in this intercession to learn from what Moses actually is doing as he places himself under the authority, knowing that he has no authority, only in which was been given to him, and he doesn't have any bargaining chips. But what he does know is that God has made a promise to his people. And so what does Moses say? He acknowledges their idolatrous issues, but he calls on God to remem remember this is your treasured possession. This is your holy people that you've called your nation. In other words, God is so faithful, even though these folks are pagan and idol worshipers, which was learned from neighboring communities, like I just said, he still is going to remain faithful to them. Now, how is God revealing himself through that? I want you to listen. Our intercession should reveal a deeper knowledge of Christ, a deeper knowledge of God. Our intercession has to reveal a deeper knowledge. It was Luther, Martin Luther, who says to know Christ is to know all of his benefits. Our proximity to God reveals guidance and methods and standards and benefits. This means that uh, 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 we have to continue to learn the ways of God. That is why Moses prays, teach me your ways. You hear the psalmist says, teach me your statues, teach me your commandments, teach me your ways. I remember when I was learning uh, how to intercede. That was one of the things that I prayed and was taught to pray. God, teach me your ways. And I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, I didn't know anything about uh, 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 Davina and them. I'm talking about Lecto. Davina and them. I didn't know nothing about it. I thought that was, I thought that was funny. But y'all didn't. I didn't know nothing about that. But, but what I did, what, what, what I was taught was to know how to wait on God. And what I was taught was to know to, to call on God according to his character. 
according to how he's already, what he's already declared about himself, what he's already revealed about himself. So, beloved, when, when you hear and know this, this, it is this idea in which the knowledge leads to greater adoration, greater worship. This is Herman Bavink that is saying this. This is a German Reformed philosopher who says, the knowledge leads to adoration and worship. To know is to live. To know God is to live. To know God is to live. To know God is to live. Knowing God is possible for us because God is personable, exalted above, above the earth, and yet in fellowship with human beings on the earth. Brief pause. If then we are being taught how to intercede for one another, if we were to practice that for, for a moment, what that means is we have to know each other. What that means is that this community and body of believers ought to be a place in which we actually know one another's name. That we understand each other's stories. That we, we know some of the, the trauma and the issues that we had to face in life. And a lot of times, and I'm glad we're not some large church, a lot of times you can hide in the background. But in order to intercede, what happens is you have to say, God, I'm calling on your name because you are faithful. And my brother and or sister is struggling with their faith. And you are a God that is able to sustain them because you are unchanging. And the things that they're struggling with right now, you actually know them by name. And you have the power and ability to actually help comfort them in moments where they need peace because you are the prince of peace. So, Lord, will you walk with them and help them in this situation? Insert name, insert community, insert leaders. The practice of interceding calls one to be less, to be selfless. And to actually be more attentive to how God is working, not just in my own life, me and my own Jesus, but amongst the community of believers. Therefore, beloved, the challenge is, is that you, you don't need to build your Christian life on having a community that only, or, uh, that, only, that only fits and suits you. You don't need to build your Christian life that, that only means that my priestliness, because God has called us to be a royal priesthood, that's where we can actually fast forward and see that we are called to be that holy nation and royal priesthood because we actually have access directly to God. Whereas when you go into the tent of meetings in that time, it was Moses who had to act on the benefit, on the behalf of the people of God. Now work with me now. Don't go to sleep on me. I'm trying to work through this because I'm, we want to go somewhere this morning. And the idea of going somewhere is to, react to, is to actually change the trajectory of where God is trying to take us. Or, or to be on the same, let me, let me say change the trajectory God's trying to take us. I'm saying change the trajectory in our minds and get on where God is trying to, trying to take us. Be in line downtown church with the will and the mind of God. Seeking his mind often and daily 
Why? Because I know what it means to have these babies in diapers and be doing the same thing every day. Day in and day out. And you just saying to yourself, are my kids listening to me? Um, is, is, does, does my spouse, are they hearing me? Uh, you know, I'm dealing with my singleness and I, I'm working and I get to travel. I got my time, on my, I got my time to myself. My, my, you know, we big in self-care now, right? You know, so, so I need my self-care. I need me time. I need all. I understand all of the dynamics that influence and shape us. But what I believe the Bible calls us to is to actually reduce deem some of those dynamics that have good conventional wisdom and use them for the glory of God. Use them for his glory. Because at the end of the day, I promise you, Jesus is going, he's not going to say, well done, good and faithful person that's taking care of yourself. Well done, good and faithful servant who has actually uh, uh, made things right for, for you and, uh, and where you want to go. Well done, good and faithful person that has done everything that's okay and in line for your family. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Why servant? Because we serve his church. We serve a body of believers who all commune together that worship one God. So he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant because of how we've cared for one another, cried for each other, prayed for each other, made sure that we intercede for one another, that we've pled with each other on one another's behalf. And so now when we look at Moses, he too is dealing with a rebellious people and he's saying, I don't have the fortitude to lead them without the, without the presence of God. I don't have it. Can we admit to ourselves we can't lead our own selves? We can't entrust ourselves to ourselves. That's why we, that's why we trust us, entrust ourselves over to leadership. That's why it's good to pray for your leadership. That's why it's good to pray for people who are mentoring you and discipling you because they need wisdom in order to understand how to love and care for you. Let me make this very practical. Some of us, uh, because we're, we're a church that is striving for diversity in so many different spaces. So when you're walking into a dynamic where you don't understand that person's narrative, culture, etc., background and how they grew up, does that mean that you just conjure up ways in which, or you Google, you use AI to try to figure out ways to, how to do so? No, Paul, that's not what we do, man. We're not going to use AI. No, I'm joking. Paul and I have had those conversations. But, 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 the, but, the, but the idea is, is that we actually go to the God that actually knows that person, and we say, Lord, help me to know them. Give me wisdom. Afford me, afford me the ability to care for them. Give me a heart for what, where they are, what they're going to. Help my ears to be attentive. It's very practical on how to listen to the people of God to know where they are and to shepherd them, to care for them through it. Now, I can belabor that point, but I, I, want, I just want to make it very practical. And you can actually develop that on more and more throughout your life. But I also want to say that we deal with stuff together, y'all. Our nation is about to go through another election cycle. We know all of the turmoil that that caused, the division and the strife. We need to be girding ourselves up in prayer now. 
that no matter who's in the office, it doesn't fit, affect the high priestly office. Oh my goodness. I did, I did, I did. It, 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 no matter what they, what, no matter what culture begins to dictate, we may drive ourselves crazy over the next Supreme Court decision or drive ourselves crazy over the next policy decision. But can I tell you, beloved, the church historically, even from an ancient perspective, has always, through the power and the presence of God, been able to change things transform things and so when we when we do that do you realize it it doesn't mean that we have to we have to be able to to get upset over every single issue but what we actually can make sure that we bring those issues as we've already sang to God in prayer that the needless pain doesn't weigh us down but yet we have a God that is not insecure therefore beloved I don't think that intercession only ends with us interceding for one another. It means that we intervene where we need to. And so the faith and worth component, work component is that you are all priests. So wherever you go, whatever space that you are in, you bring a priestliness to that space. Therefore, you intervene by interceding, no matter if you are on Capitol Hill, or you are in the medical department, or you are in the surgery room, or you are in the banking office, or you're bagging groceries at Kroger, you can be intervening and interceding as you are checking people out by saying who they are, asking who they are, and calling on their name, what's going on with you today, and boop. How you doing? And boop, what's been, what's been bothering you? Well, I'm going to tell you, God, I, I got this going on, this going on. Boop, well, you know what? I, I know somebody, boop, they can take care of every single issue. Do you want me to call on, your, on this? I do, boop, do that for you right there. I, I'll make sure that I call on that name for you. We can do that in every single situation, beloved. And that then helps us to understand that we're not limited and God's covenant promises to us are actually ways in which we learn who he is more and more. Let, 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 me, let me scroll down just a little bit. I got to keep moving. We need to depend. So we, we talked about having deepening our intercession, depend on his covenant promises. Depend on his covenant promises. Why? Because God is revealing himself. Chapter 19 of Psalms 7, verse 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving to the soul. Everybody say, I'm reviving. Reviving. The law of the Lord revives our souls. Now, sometimes we don't feel that way. We, don't, we may not sense that, but it actually does. And when the psalmist says that, I want you to know that right before he says that, he talks about how the sky declares the, God, the, the handiwork of God, how, how it proclaims his name, all aspects of creation. And so when David is writing this, he is connecting it to this idea that the covenant promise to Israel is not a covenant promise that only has legal ways in which it's implemented, but it is to remind, that the to remind the people that they are treasured. Therefore, the mercy, which means the mercy of God, which means that he is withholding deserved punishment and the grace, which means it's an act of endowing unmerited favor, is to reassure us of the covenant faithfulness. So you feel good or reviving, shall I say, 
It should revive your soul that you know that you got a God that will show mercy on you. It should revive your souls when you know a God that is going to show grace to you even when you act a fool. It is, it is now that Israel ought to, sit, ought to understand and know that it is this same God that cares for them and is going to, be, going to continue to be with them because, I want you to look at what Moses says. Moses says, show me your glory. Moses says, show me your glory. Right after, as, right after God is promising that his presence is going to remain with him, he says, show me your glory. Now Moses has already seen God's glory. In fact, we just read about how the glory of the Lord has, uh, has, has descended in a cloud, etc. Why does Moses want to see the glory of God? It is to reassure him that the same God that has delivered them out of Egypt is the same God that will continue to be with them as they go to the land of Canaan. It is the same God. That is important to understand, beloved. And, 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 and greater, in greater still, here, here it is, uh, the goodness is the splendor of God in which he shows himself and it strengthens Moses, therefore gives him the ability to know how to lead the people. So the broken tablets, he says, build them up and write them again and put them in front of the people. Why? What does it do? There are ethical Old Testament promises, which we, if we had, a, if we had more weeks, we would go through them, that actually calls the people of God uh, to know how to live. This is why the temple is being built. And so then when we, when, we, when we think about it, God's faithfulness, I can only put it in this song, which explained it, great is thy faithfulness. It's not predicated on our faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. It doesn't mean that you need to be more faithful. That's what happens sometimes. We say, God, is, I, I, I got to get it together, so let me be more faithful. Israel can't do that. We can't do that. Great is thy faithful. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All that I need, thy hand hath, hadeth, King James, hadeth provided. Great is thy faithfulness. Broken promises are devastating. But, beloved, when you understand that God will never break his promise, God ain't going to have to say, I'm sorry. All he's going to say is, I fulfilled it. That gives us the ability to call on a name, as Philippians says, that is greater above every other name. Let me keep tracking now. Our next point is, is that we are to desire to dwell in this temple. Desire to dwell in this place. I, I just want to take a brief way and to say this parenthetically, that a lot of times when we think about church, we only think about it in the forms and the structures that we've used wisdom to build ways in order for us to have accountability and structure, etc. And some people like going to church. They like traditionalism. They like, uh, you know, we got black folks, they, they black church up in here. We got Methodists. We got Pentecostals. We got Presbyterians. We got Baptists. Uh, we got so we got a whole lot of folks up in here, okay? And, and so then we got people that love house church that that don't like church, and uh, you know, COVID then changed, and now we got virtual church, etc. Uh, I'm gonna say this: I, I you know, I, 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 virtual church is okay, but y'all ain't going to see Taylor Swift online. I'm gonna just say that. But so 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 you have you have so many different ways in which one thinks about church. 
This, beloved, um, a lot of times when we think about the New Testament, we say to ourselves, oh, this is the way they did church in the New Testament. Remember, there was a temple in the New Testament. There was a temple. The people of God went there together. The reasons they were dispersed all over the place, and even when they met in their houses, it was contextually because of where they were. And so over time, the church has developed and formed in different structures. Therefore, the main thing is the main thing. I always like to get the main thing the main thing. You know what the main thing is? Is if God is dwelling with his people, there then he is. If God is dwelling with his people, there then he is. You all are temple servants. I, be giving, I, give, I give Alex a shout out every time. He's been a temple servant, putting, helping put chairs up and all the time, running the show the whole time. Amen, Alex. Amen. But do you realize the priesthood, it was about the maintenance of the temple. It was about taking care of the sacraments, making sure things were in their place. Those that take care of our communion and put things out and things, that, that is priestliness at its essence, right? And so what I'm saying this morning, I believe the text to relate to what we're saying, that in order to see the glory of God, it is to actually be aware and ask God to be, it's actually asking God to help us to be aware of his presence no matter where we are. No matter where we are. My brothers and sisters in Argentina, my brothers and sisters in Indonesia, in Africa, in Russia, in Asia, and all over the planet, the presence of God is all over the place. He, the earth, is his sanctuary. The cosmos is his temple. And so when G.K. Bill, he actually writes a book, uh, and if you have time and you love theology, read it. He writes a book showing us how the temple is structured like the heavenly places and the earthly places in order to show that God is, his temple is the cosmos. God can, his throne is wherever he wants it to be. God can find his home inside of us, around us, behind us, above us, under us. God will dwell with his people. Why? Because that's what he's promised. And that's the glory of the temple. And that is the picture in which when we come in this place, our adoration and our worship of God is to say that, God, we know that we cannot see you, but we know that you have descended upon us much like the tent of meetings. The glory of God is something that we can declare that no other God on the face of this planet can do for their people. And that's what Israel was able to declare. You get that? But there was no other God descending upon the people. When they would worship Baal and, 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 and the, sty, the sky and the moon and stars and the fertility gods, etc., they had to do so much work. You understand what we have to do is to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. We're presenting ourselves. So when the Hebrew writer says we don't have to do chapter 9 of Hebrews, we don't have to do what our brothers and sisters did in ancient Israel. There was a mediator by the name of Jesus. There was, there was, there was Abraham. He wasn't good enough. That was Moses. He wasn't good enough. That was David. That brother, 
He wasn't good enough. Even though they said the Davidic king, the Davidic, king, the Davidic covenant, it, it was solid, but he, but he wasn't good enough. There was somebody that was greater. And his name was Jesus. And he said, as much has been fulfilled in the tabernacle, I am going to fulfill all things through me. That will work through you. Therefore, you don't need to call on anybody else. Uh, he's on the main line. And all you got to do is dial that number. And Jesus will pick up the phone. And when you feel alone, I want you to think about the people that are in this place. And say that he's given me a cloud of witnesses. That have lived over a course of time. And they can testify. That there is a God that will always intercede, be faithful to his promises, and dwell amongst his people for the rest of his lives, for the rest of their lives, because he is the one true God. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and your grace, and that this book of Exodus reminds us that you are the one true God who has delivered us from evil, and that no other God can proclaim your goodness, your faith. No other God can proclaim the power, anything else. And so we worship and adore you. We know that everything has been satisfied through you. And we are thankful that the work has been finished. We ask God that you continue to sanctify us so that we will look more like you. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ our Lord. All God's people say together. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Grateful for your presence, God. Thank you for the breath that you've provided for us, Lord Jesus. Uh, because we use that breath to worship Jesus. And we leave this place knowing that we intercede, that we have a promise that will never be broken, and that God is always dwelling with us. And so will you receive the benediction? Thank you, family and friends that have come from different places to be with us. Continue to proclaim the name that is above every single name on the face of this earth. May the glory and the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all now and forevermore. Go in peace. All God's people say, amen, amen. Great and